And uh, I'm excited this morning because we're starting a new series. Who's excited about that? Come on. Uh, we're going to open up our Bibles uh, to Acts chapter 3 this morning. And I've been kind of feeling under the weather this week, but I will tell you this. God has placed a fire inside me in terms of what he wants to communicate here this morning. I was preparing for this message this morning, and I was, like, getting so convicted and so torn up inside because God just placed something uh, on my heart that I'm just so excited to share this morning. And we're starting a new series, and the series is titled Contrast. And um, kind of the subtitle of this series is When Worldviews Collide. And we're going to be picking up in Acts chapter 3, um, where the early church uh, was beginning to live. They breathed and lived and uh, walked with Jesus, and now Jesus has empowered his church uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit to continue the work of ministry here on earth, and that leads us up to this present age. So when it comes to the early church, many times I'm curious to see, man, what did they do? When they were the ones that were the closest with Jesus, so what did the way that they live and view the world look like? So we're going to look at this time and this era where Romans ruled, Roman culture was dominant, and we have this group of people that were passionate about God and his purposes on the earth, and it, their, their way of living began to collide with this other way of living that the culture was so used to. In part one this morning, uh, before we dive in, I titled this, Give More Than They Bargained For. Give more than they bar bargained for. How many of you guys know a common phrase is getting more than you bargained for, right? We've, we've heard this phrase before, many of us, yeah, okay, just, just Jeff, uh, cool. Um, you're going to be tracking with me, Jeff, this whole message, yeah. Um, but here's what I know. I love when I get more than I bargain for. In other words, I love free stuff. Uh, another common uh, phrase in, in our society is nothing in life is what? Free, come on. But here's what I know. Um, anybody, um, I don't know about you, but uh, I'm a fast food lover. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm unashamed. You know what I mean? All you like kale-eating people that act like McDonald's is gross, you're wrong because you do want to eat it. You just choose not to. So anyway, that's besides the fact. But here's what I'll say. There's nothing more than the disappointment of going through a fast food drive-thru. Come on, somebody. You get home, you open the bag to realize that you don't have the right order, right? But how many of you guys have ever been on the flip side of that where you get a little bit more than you bargained for? You know what I'm saying? You go through the drive-thru go through Bar Burger King, you know, you order the value menu, you show up at home, and what do you know? They just so happen to throw an extra burger in there. Come on! Praise God, somebody. Anybody ever been on the side of that? Nothing in life is free. Yeah, that's wrong, because I've been on the side of some blessings from heaven. You know what I'm saying? I will never forget it, you guys. There's this restaurant, when Callie and I were living in L.A., there's this restaurant called BJ's, and uh, we used to always love to order the takeout. That way you don't have to, like, sit there and, like, pay a big tip or whatever. You know, it's like, let's just get it and run. And let's watch a movie at the house on a Friday night or whatever. So anyway, we, we got BJ's to go. And I'll never forget it. I ordered a hamburger, right? And Callie ordered something else. And, I, you know, I grabbed my stuff to go. Finally got back home. And I opened it up. And not only was there a hamburger in there, and not only was there Callie's entree, there was also a full-blown ribeye steak meal. Blessing from heaven. I was like freaking out. I was like, dang, I just got like a $25 meal for free. You know what I mean? I got more than I bargained for. No greater joy, right? Some of you would beg to differ. But for me, I'm like manna from heaven. You know what I'm saying? Like blessings from God. Come on, somebody. Here's what I know. This morning, we are going to look at a story where somebody asked for something and he got a little bit more than he bargained for. And I think this is so interesting because this collides straight on with the culture and how people treated this particular individual. So we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 3 and read it in its entirety. And then we're going to spend a little bit of time just kind of 
breaking this down into chunks this morning. So Acts chapter 3, uh, starting with verse 1. I'm going to read through verse 10 this morning. It says this. It says, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. At 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful. Where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Let's pray this morning. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word, in, literally these words were penned thousands of years ago. But they are still your word, your power, breathing, living, active, speaking into our souls and our hearts this morning. So, Lord, I pray that seeds would just be planted so deep within us, Lord. I pray in the same way that this man wasn't fully aware of God's goodness beforehand and became aware that that would be the same for us this morning. Lord, for those of us in the room that need an awakening, that need maybe that fire to be ignited underneath us, God. Would you do that? Would you provide that for us, Lord? Would you provide hope in hopeless situations? And Lord, would you pray, I just pray for grace, Lord, where we need it, wherever we're at this morning. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. So kind of reading this story, we realize that there's this man that got a little bit more than he bargained for, right? He was a man that asked for money, and in return, he was physically and miraculously healed. He ordered a burger, and he got the ribeye steak, right? Come on, somebody. That's what happened. He, 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 didn't, he, he wanted something in his finite mind, but in return, he got something so much better, so much greater. There is a contrast that's going on in this verse and in these verses in the way that most of us view the world, right? Because here's what I know. I expect mistakes, I expect a level out of people understanding that people are imperfect. People make mistakes. I expect errors in customer service. I expect sometimes when I say no tomato on my hamburger to get home and see tomatoes slopped all over my hamburger, right? It happens enough for me to say, you know what? We live in an imperfect world. People make mistakes, right? This is, this is common. This is a worldview that we commonly know and just expect sometimes out of people. So let's, let's, let's break this down as we kind of pick back up at the beginning of the story in Acts chapter 3, starting with verse 1. It says, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. And here's, here's what we need to know in terms of where, where was Peter and John coming from? They were coming from a time uh, while the church of Jesus was absolutely rolling. You know what I mean? Like this, there was so much momentum in the early church. In fact, we're going to look at Acts chapter 2, kind of where we left off in our previous series, Outward, talking about the early church. What was happening with the early church? It says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Miracles were happening, you guys. Verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. 
They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Right off the heels of this, we have Peter and John now. As good Jewish men who are now had become Christians going to the temple, the centerpiece for worship, the centerpiece uh, for prayer. They were going to a place where they would often gather together, to the temple, where they understood. They saw Jesus make promises and said, you're going to continue, and then he ascended in front of them. So when they understood prayer, they understood prayer probably better than anybody because they saw the power of God and Jesus ascend and say, hey, you want some of where I'm going? All you got to do is ask me. So they understood when they came together to the temple to pray together, they understood the bridge that exists. When we cry out to God in prayer, there is a bridge that happens because of Jesus that is a bridge of power and miracles. Come on, somebody. And boldness. And things begin to manifest because Jesus promised you will do greater things than even I did. So the disciples, they took this to heart. So as they dedicated themselves to the temple, they would go to the temple, they would come together as the church, and they would expect big things to happen. But I love it. On the way to the temple, there seems to be an interruption. Acts 3, 2, let's look at verse 2. It says, now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Luke, the author, who's the author of not only the Gospel of Luke, but also the sequel, which is the book of Acts, if you didn't know that. Acts is the sequel to the Gospel of Luke. It kind of continues on from the resurrection of Jesus into this life of the early church, right? But he mentions that this man was disabled to emphasize how big of a deal the cure was. As we read in the story, we know that there's a cure. But Luke offers this up to, to, to emphasize it. But it's also interesting to know how people who were disabled during this time were treated. Greek and Roman culture, they often treated these people and designated these people as weak. If you were disabled, you were a person of weakness. Sometimes they associated disabled people with divine judgment or people with bad character. People that God was speaking his divine judgment over. But how many of you guys know that ignorance still exists within church circles today? And here's what I know. We are a church that holds that accountable. We are a church that says we advocate for Jesus. So when it comes to ignorance, um, we will hold those viewpoints accountable. There's a lot of people right now within church circles that are using that same logic and applying it to our natural disasters and saying, this is God's judgment against America. This is God's judgment against this country or that country. But you know what the best cure to biblical ignorance is? Reading your Bible, getting to know your Bible. And here's what my Bible says in Romans chapter 8, that all of creation is groaning in the pangs of childbirth into the present time, meaning because of the curse of sin, even creation in itself is crying out for God's restorative order and restoration. Creation is crying out to the realities of heaven. And whatever physical ailments or ways that we look or the differences that we are that reflect sin, it is not because of the character of the person. And it is not because of the character of God. But God is actually restoring all of those things back to his original order, which is perfect, which reflects heaven. So when it comes to the truth of God and sometimes how we misapply, we will see this person who was lame, this person who had a disorder was not looked down upon, was not said, oh, it's because of so-and-so sin that you are like this. He says, no, this doesn't reflect the character of God. 
And what do we see by the end of this story? That man is restored back into perfect healing. God's heart is reflected once again, even within the micro context of this story. People would often see this man begging for money. But often what would happen was something that scholars would label during this time as compassion fatigue, meaning that there was so much, such a boundless need that people would begin to turn a blind eye to it. They would become fatigued and begin to be riddled with a callous heart and lose compassion for people that they saw that were in need. But doesn't that sound a little bit like us today? Sometimes we see people in need and it's easier to, ah, you're walking by and you just, it's easier to ignore it's easier to know that there's issues or things or concerns going on in our world and not participate and just kind of continue to move on. We can become so fatigued in our compassion. One scholar commented that 15% of urban populations during this time were considered expendables, those for whom the rest of society had no use, including beggars, unfamilied widows, orphans, and so forth. But I love it because historically, the church has always tried to battle this compassion fatigue. But I will say one thing about the church of Jesus Christ historically, there has always been a great effort to care for those who are widowed, to care for those who are orphans. Globally, we've seen uh, such an effort that I'm so proud of in knowing that we're trying to be difference makers in that change. Amen? So we go on in verse 3. It says, when he saw Peter, this disabled man, right, this lame man since birth, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And, and, and Jewish sources identified that this was common. Um, and for, for Jewish men during this time, it was also common, as Peter and John were Jewish men, for them to uh, feel a moral obligation. Now, this wasn't like a legal obligation to give to those within the society, but there was a moral obligation because they were people, God's people, to uh, give to those who are in need. Give, there was always a moral obligation to say, hey, we want to give to those who are beggars, those um, who have gotten themselves into a situation that's just uh, devastating, Right? And Acts 3, 4 says, Peter looked straight at him as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. I love this because there was a moral obligation to give, but what does Peter do? He goes beyond that. He looks this person in the eye. He acknowledges this person. Well, you guys know that's a, there's such an intimacy when you actually just look somebody in the eyes, right? You don't just talk to somebody, but you focus in on them. I love what, what's illustrated here. Scholars debate why, why, why did he say look at us? But I love just the simple act of understanding that there's dignity when you look somebody square in the eyes, right? There's dignity that represents that each and every person, whether in the church or outside the church, was created in the image of God. And Peter sees that disconnect, and he just looks at this man who was less fortunate and found himself in this situation. Verse 5 says, so the man gave them his attention expecting to get something from them, right? His expectation was common. Typically, when there was men walking to the temples, Jewish men that were walking, that commonly going to do their duty of prayer, right? They would commonly give. So he, he's asking with this expectation of, I'm probably going to get some money in return in this kind of little relational kind of conversation here, right? In verse 6, then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have but what I do have, I give you. Money. Silver or gold, Peter says, I do not have. Let's talk a little bit about money this morning, right? 
Because money for the early church had become the most unimportant thing for them. As we see in Acts chapter 2, that, that section that they were kind of were kind of coming off the cuffs of, money became less important to the church, the early church. The church of Jesus was not built on a foundation of money, like the DuckTales guy who, what's his name? I don't know. He jumps off the diving board into like the pool of money, if you guys have ever seen that cartoon. Um, anyway, uh, that's not what the, the way the church exists. Hey, we got this big bank account. No, the church says selflessly they were sharing money. Money was not important to the early church, but they had this new power, this new way of li life that they had discovered because they lived and breathed with Jesus and saw Jesus do some supernatural, insane things. So what Peter said to him actually was a natural response out of the things that he saw happening in the physical it was a natural response. He didn't have money, but he had something much better, something of a different order entirely, something of a different realm, one that is contrary sometimes to the physical realm that we live in. But what Peter was speaking forth was something spiritual, something heavenly that was crashing into the present realities of life at that moment. He didn't ask the lame man if he would be like to be healed. He just identified and confidently spoke into the deep need of this very person. And I think a common worldview today is that in order to be anybody in life, you got to have what? Money. A common worldview that we see in our world today is this. Come on. Well, you got to have money. You got to climb the ladder. You gotta, in order to be successful, you got to have some Dollar bills in the bank account, right? And here's what I've also noticed about sometimes our, our churches and our pastors, right? There's a common worldview that says in order to have a successful church, you've got to have money. But let's apply that logic to this situation, right? A man who truly deep down needs a physical miracle in his life. And we say, you know, see this man, sorry, you know what? We don't have money. And what do we do? We just move on with what we were doing. There was a moment there that could have been so easily missed because you thought, well, I just didn't have money to solve it. But this is kind of how this worldview begins to kind of creep into the way that we feel about church. Maybe even feel about our own church. The success and how we measure success in being the church of Jesus, right? Let's apply it to our church. Let's say a new person comes to our church building on a Sunday. And this is what we do. We just spend our time apologizing about, well, you know, this is an older building. We haven't renovated everything yet. We're so sorry that it's not perfect. And then we just move on. And then we just move on in our, with our life. We spend the time focused on the things that maybe we don't have or the way that things were insecure because it's not necessarily up to par. And we just move, out, move on with what we're doing and we, we miss an opportunity with somebody. W what about... A new family comes into our church building, and, and we spend time, well, I mean, our kids, maybe we don't have the greatest things, the toys, we don't have the, the, the best playground in the world, you know, we're just so sorry about that, and we get so focused maybe on what we don't have because of money, and, and we miss an opportunity with that person right then and there. Or you meet a musician, maybe who comes in on a Sunday, right? Maybe he's interested in the worship team. You say, well, you know what? The speaker system we have yet, I mean, you know, it's not the greatest. There's a little bit of reverberation in this room. You know what I mean? I'm so sorry. And then we just, we get so focused on what we don't have that we miss an opportunity. We miss the opportunity. And here's what I know. Every excuse in the book can be blamed on money and why the church is not working. But you know what can be accomplished without money in the church of Jesus Christ? Everything. 
The worldview of Jesus says everything. We can take it all away. We can push the things to the side. We can push the wants to the side and understand that ministry still exists. The church of Jesus will still thrive. Where is our church's money going? I think this is a good, good conversation to have. In this current season, where, where is our church's money going? Our church's money is used to continually update our building to make sure it is a place where people feel hospitable. But you know what we're going to do in the meantime, regardless? Love people. Love people where they're at. Minister to people. See people. Recognize new guests that are coming in week after week. Understanding that every Sunday is someone's first Sunday. Come on, somebody. If you're a guest with us the first time this morning, we just want to say we are so glad you're here. And we hope and pray that you feel, felt the love of God when you came into this place. That might have been a person waving in our parking lot. You know what I mean? When you're coming in, saying welcome. Or a handshake on the way in. But that manifests, let's throw it all aside and understand that really it manifests relationally in the way that we love people. Where is our church's money going? Well, it's used to continually make our kids and youth ministries the most exciting place for a young person to come. Does it mean we've reached that yet? No, it does not. But in the meantime, you know what we're going to do regardless? Love everyone as best as we can. Because without all that other stuff, that's what we have the capacity to do see people, recognize needs, and feed and serve and give into those particular needs. Where is our church's money going? Well, it's used to continually make our music experience one that blows the best venues that we know of away, right? We've consulted with a guy that we know that when we get our speakers and we update our speaker system, we got a guy that we brought out here and we know how to make it great. We know how to make it booming. We know how to make it the best sound system in Ponca City. Easy. We know how to get there. We have the steps of understanding how we need to get there. But in the meantime, you know what we're going to do? Regardless, love people as best as we can. Come on, somebody. The church of Jesus, come on, we have been called to be the church. And sometimes we become, measure, we measure success based on what we have. If you've ever sat on the sidelines like me and said, I can't until we, wait until we can do this as a church. It might be for us just to step back. And I had this moment as well and say, you know what? It's time for me to be the church. Understanding that money creates no obstacle. It doesn't. And here's what I know. Many churches are dying because they're letting the excuse of money become the problem. Money's not the issue, you guys. A church that doesn't look like Jesus is the issue. Disciples that walk out of a church and their discipleship looks like more lovers of God than people is what the church needs to look like. That's what a growing church looks like. When the church looks like money-hungry hypocrites that don't care about the needs of a younger generation, no wonder church closures are looming. Here's what I'll say. As a church, more money will only give us the ability to continue to spread the love of Jesus. And what do I mean by that? We got big visions, meaning this. I'm not going to downplay. Hey, more money our church gets, we are going to strategically continue to figure out how we can spread the love of Jesus. You want to talk about kids' playgrounds? We got ideas that blow the, the cap of what you're thinking of away. We got vision of understanding. Come on. There's a lot of things threatening us right now in our culture and even in the culture of our city. A lot of different things. I'll bring up something that might be a little political for our city right now. The YMCA. 
people, if, if that thing closes down, I have a, I have a bad feeling that, this, that everybody's going to be in uproar. Well, here's what we need to understand. Come on, somebody. We need to understand that we are the solution. We need to be the church that understands. We love on kids. We have kids programs. We have the best and greatest playground to offer that whether it closes or not, we will continue to do what we need to do. We need to either wait on a commercial industry to come in here and be the savior of this city or let Jesus and his church take over. Come on. Our vision says we will build, if the finances are there, we will build and spread the love and blow anything, any vision, wherever your vision level is capped off right now, blow it. Because Jesus wants to manifest in this city in such practical ways to love on families, young people. We have big vision. So know that. But in the meantime, we will love people as best as we can. We will strive to fulfill Jesus' mission of love. You know why? Because it works. It works. Here's my, to be honest, moment, my TBH. I would much rather be the pastor of a church with a crappy, run-down building than to be a pastor of a church that has an immaculate, beautiful building filled with a bunch of crusty grumps. Come on, somebody. I'm just going to be real with you right now. Because one looks more like the church of Jesus. One is actually seeing the baton being handed off. One is having a love that identifies young people that need mentors, life being spoken. Ones who are carrying young people alongside them, investing into the next generation. I would much rather be a church that looks out and sees people's lives that have been touched by Jesus and learn really well how to press into him and love people so deeply. That is my heart's desire. Because here's what I know. The loving church will expand. The loving church will grow. Amen? So back to the verse. <sighs> right? Peter says, I don't have money. But here's what I do have. And I'm going to give it to you. And he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. I love it. It doesn't just say stand up and walk like Jesus would have. But he actually gives credit to the one. He says, come on. I know that I've been empowered to do this. But I'm going to tell you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Actually, Jesus was a common name. So I love it. He gets specific. He says, let me just remind you the geography. We're talking about the rumors that you've heard about this man who rose again. And by that authority, I command and say, walk. The power of a name was extremely common during this time. And it kind of causes us to have to jump through some hoops to understand that. But it's very, very similar to our culture in terms of in, in order to get into the greatest clubs, you know, the most VIP clubs. Sometimes what do you got to do? You got to name drop. Name dropping will give you access. If you know the right name, you get into the building. You get into the building you were otherwise not forbidden to enter into, right? So if you have the right name, you get the right access. The same idea goes here. And what Peter was doing is he was confronting many of ideas of magic during this day. Where people would call upon different gods, different sources in secret, and then perform magical things. 
spiritual things that are contrary to God. So what Peter was coming up against, he's like, hey, you guys have all heard of the spiritual access. Well, guess what? We're not hiding out in the closets calling upon all these different deities. We're calling upon one name. I'm letting you know there's one name, and it's one name of power and absolute power. I have the authority, and I have been given rightful access as the messenger to perform that authority. Curing a disease during this time with a mere word was unusual. The most popular magicians of the day would spend time conjuring up magical abilities. And Peter just says one phrase. He says, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, walk. And the results, obviously, were about to blow people's mind. He says, check out this access I have. Boom. Picture with me, heaven in the form of a VIP club right now. Come on. You're going to have to try to go there with me. Here's mine, right? Perfect playlist to dance to. Yeah. All the songs I want to be played are playing. Come on now. Unlimited supply of your favorite beverage without all the negative consequences. Come on, somebody. Mine would be Mountain Dew Baja Blast. Uh, yeah. I'm that guy. Best fried food a club could ever have, but has all the health benefits of eating kale? Come on, somebody now. This is the club of all clubs. You know what kind of club that is? An impossible one. But this is what, this is what Peter was showing. Check out what I have access to. What seems impossible becomes possible. The miraculous access that looks like nothing else anyone had ever experienced. Let's move on to verse 7. It says, Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. The man wasn't just a recipient of charity, but of change condition. He didn't give what he was, he wasn't given what he was asking for, but he was given so much more. And I'll say this, we read this story and we can get so caught up in kind of the formula and the miracle itself, Right? But as we read throughout the ministry of Jesus, we see that miracles were performed in so many different ways, right? Like I'm thinking about the story of, of the mud with Jesus. He wipes it on the guy's eyes. He was blind. Boom. He's healed. And if that was the only example that we had, right, of healing, what would we have in our churches today? Mud baths. Be like a mud zone. You know, people throwing mud. You're going to get healed. You know what I'm saying? Humans, we get so focused on the formula. And you get so missing this story and get so focused on the formula. Okay, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, I'm going to pray. I'm going to walk around and tell people to walk. And they're going to be healed. No, no, don't, don't miss this right now. There's something in us that has to be identified and understanding that there was a boldness at play here. You might be saying, well, you know, I've never seen miracles. I've never performed miracles. I don't even know if I have the faith to understand or believe that that's even exists today. But the question becomes, are you swinging the bat? People swing the bat all the time and miss. But guess what? When you never get up to bat, you never, you never hit a home run. I've been, I've been getting into the, the, the MLB playoffs this past week. You know what I'm saying? Let's go Cubs. Uh-oh. Well, better than the Dodgers. Oh. My L.A. friends are just filling my feet, and it's so annoying. It's just like, stand down. Um, but here's what we know. When you fear strikeouts and it overcomes you, you never get up to bat. The issue for many of us, and we're wanting to get caught up in the formula, is for us, what does practically boldness look like for us? What does stepping out mean for us? What does 
giving someone more than they bargained for look like for us. Maybe that's spending a little bit of extra time with somebody. Maybe that's offering any form of prayer to somebody who might need it. Maybe that's speaking boldly. But for many of us, this isn't a formulaic issue in our faith. This is an issue of our boldness. And Peter, because he was fresh off the ministry of Jesus, had such a boldness to go. And what did he see when he swung the bat? He hit a grand slam. And his faith began to rise. And the faith began to be contagious. Only way to increase our batting average in prayer and miracles is to keep going to bat. And no one's batting average is perfect. You know whose is, though? The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. But in the meantime, his imperfect church has an opportunity to get up to bat, to pray big, to believe big. And here's what I know. When more and more of us swing the bat, more faith stories are going to begin to rise up miraculously. You know what I love about Dale sharing during the offering this morning, stories that are miraculous, is that faith began to rise up in the room. The faith began to rise up out of the room simply because of the obedience within his heart and the testimony to share. For some of us, there might be times where we just need to be a little bit more obedient and bold in the direction of what God wants to give in moments where somebody, it goes beyond the capacity of what somebody could even expect. Let's move on to verse 8. Acts chapter 3, verse 8, it says, he jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. The guy just ordered a hamburger, and he got the ribeye steak. You know what I'm saying? Once again, give me the money, put the money to the side, and understand I have been lame since birth. This issue that's deep within my life, that is obvious, that I am insecure about, that I am in this situation with, has been healed. And he gets up, and he starts getting pumped about it. You know why I shared that story about the hamburger and the ribeye? I tell that to you today because I'm still pumped about it. Come on, somebody. When something happens to you where you get more than you bargained for, you tell people about it. You share that story. You know you sense it. It is real. It is your reality. And you begin to exclaim and share people because you got something more than what you actually paid for or deserved. When people experience love, they spread the word. Remember that growing church idea we talked about earlier? Here it is in the early days of the church. Somebody transformed by the love of Jesus, becoming the best church inviter right here from the get-go. Simply because he was given more than he could have ever expected. Completely countercultural in the ways that society treated him. But the ministry of Jesus pierced through all of that, all of the confusion, all the overwhelming sense of the fracture in this culture and the way society could be different. But the ministry of Jesus just begins to pierce through the heart of all that into the soul of this man, changes him and his life completely. Verses 9 and 10 here. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. They recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. 
doesn't say that people came running to Jesus' arms, right? But it says that there was a curiosity, there was a wonder, there was an amazement, there was a buzz because this man had been touched by the love of Jesus. A fire started being set. Here's what I love. The demonstration of this power didn't just take place within the temple, but it would take place outside in the temple courts. God is on the move. God is not confined to a building or walls. See, what's interesting is this, the shrine or the temple for, for, the, for the Jewish people had become a place of worldly power, it became a place to re, that resisted God's heart and his purposes. I remember Jesus, the story of Jesus flipping tables. So this is a house of prayer. He had money changers, people that were using it as a place of business. Jesus confronts that very thing. The, the temple, the shrine, was in a place spiritually and corporately for worship that was being profaned. And God said, we don't need the temple. We don't need the shrine. This love was meant to be spread. Just because it was a temple didn't mean it was used to worship God. But that's what's so beautiful about the promise to us today, that we as the Bible says, are the temple of his Holy Spirit, that the temple is no longer confined to a building. We will gather in the temple courts. As a church, we will gather together on Sundays. But we also have an understanding and responsibility that the temple leaves the building after it's all said and done. It goes out into the field for the harvest. Luke, the prequel, his gospel to this, began and ended in the temple, and now we're getting to the book of Acts, the church age, the age that we currently live in, and we realize at the beginning of this, there's a transition that's beginning to happen. It starts in Jerusalem, it starts in the holy city, and now it's being reached, and reached outside to anyone and everyone who needs it. Will we be obedient to the call? My prayer this morning is that we will, understanding there's an adventure each and every moment of our lives as we invite God into it. I want to invite the worship team back up here as we close. And here's, here's a few things. I want to get practical this morning as we close. Three questions that I want us to walk away with. So what does this all mean? How can I walk away from church today? How can I begin to apply these things in my life? If my faith, I say this all the time, if my faith wasn't practical, I wouldn't have this faith. Come on, somebody. If, if, if faith is just some box that I carry around, some compartmentalized area of my life that I just kind of stick my finger in sometimes, it's pointless. Our faith has to merge. Our faith has to come and take precedence and, and bring reality to other area, every area of our lives. And I just really believe my faith in Jesus, and the more and more I've come to know Jesus, that happens. He wants to transform every area of our lives. So here we go. Three things this morning. Three questions for us this morning. The first question is this. What current opportunities do you have to give more than someone bargained for? Meaning this, there may be people in your life that are just aching for love right now. There may be opportunities right now, and you actually are in tune with the best way to love them. But maybe you've just gotten caught up with life. Maybe you've just gotten caught up with just having a set schedule and kind of in the routine of things, and you just haven't spent time in areas where you know if you spend time in, it's going to really be a difference maker in someone's life. Sitting down, looking someone in the eyes, 
maybe even having an extended time, relational time, conversation with that person, offering that person maybe prayer in areas that they need, just giving another person time because the opportunity has arisen. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a brother or a sister that you just haven't given a call to recently or spent time with. There's opportunities all around us right now where we can spread and give people love in the same way Jesus practically does in a very practical way. And that's one of the reasons why, and I'll say this, is we encourage everybody uh, to serve on a ministry team. It's an opportunity each and every day to just love people, to treat every Sunday like it's someone's first Sunday. And here's what I will say. I know we do Team Sunday and all these things, but here's what I will say. I think sometimes when the pastor gets up and says, hey, serve, people think, oh my gosh, every Sunday I'm never going to get to attend church. Here's what I'll say. If everybody just committed to one week to serve on a team, we would not have a bunch of lieutenants serving each and every week, getting run down and ragged and trying to understand their personal life and boundaries because we just haven't really spread out. So many times on Sunday, once again, what we're trying to do is create a net for people to feel so served and so blessed. Sundays give an opportunity to do this, to go above and beyond and bless and serve somebody. Say, yeah, I know I have all this time on my schedule, but I'm going to show up a little early to church. I'm going to give one week out of my month, and I'm going to serve on a team so that I know we create a net for people to feel love. Because it's not about the building. It's not about the money. It's not about where we're going financially. It's about loving someone, giving up my rights and time and talent to serve someone else. So my heart is, hey, if you have time this week and you're not serving on a ministry team, pray about this. Come on. Go above and beyond. There's an opportunity that awaits us for us to get on our website, get on our app, and just click serve. There's a list of teams there, and just commit. You're going to get in the conversation with somebody who leads a team that you're interested in, and they're going to get you locked and loaded and ready to go. And honestly, if you can only serve one week, that's awesome. Because guess what? It's going to cause for us and our love at our church to multiply more and more. Amen? Okay, next question is this. What past opportunities did you have to give more than someone bargained for? This is, this is a good one because this is one that causes us to reflect a little bit. Some of us need to reflect and humbly admit our mistakes so that we can become better. The way I become a better pastor, a better leader, you know, is to understand where I've made mistakes, where, I've, where I need to repent, where I need to learn, where I need to learn how to humbly become more and more like Jesus. But isn't that what we're all called to do, right? Maybe you failed your spouse. It's time to selflessly pick up the pieces and look for those opportunities to give more than, than your spouse or your partner could expect, right? Maybe it's somebody in your life where you're like, man, I've really messed up. That person deserves a phone call and maybe my apology. Jesus is calling us to grow each and every day. And I'll say this, a one thing that we want to encourage in people's growth, next week we're having Baptism Sunday. Getting baptized is one of the best steps of growth I think the church could ever encourage because it's almost like a beautiful wedding ceremony, right? People get baptized, say, hey, this is my faith in Jesus. It illustrates how my old life is dead, my new life has come. And what it does is it builds faith once again. Someone's story. Next, next week, we're having one baptism, but here's my prayer, that this week would be filled with other people saying, I haven't made that decision yet, but I want to. What a great way to reflect and say, you know what? It's time to chase after Jesus in a way maybe my life hasn't ever before. Last question is this. What opportunities will you now see to give more than someone bargained for? It's easy for us to play to our easiest cure for compassion fatigue. 
Here's what I know. The church does really good at seeing those who have brokenness or existence on the outside that says, I am broken. I need help. I am in need. I think we do really, really good at that. But here's what I think sometimes happens, and I've seen this happen within my heart recently. You begin to get compassion fatigue for all those who God cares about as well that don't carry their, their burdens on the outside. We live in a society of comfort. We live in a society where we can cover the deepest, darkest secrets that live within us with our things. We can hide behind our items, our possessions. We can hide behind whatever persona we want to. And here's the thing, though. In order to break through that, in order to get to know our neighbor, that simply means we need to be in relationship with those people. You know how you break down barriers of comfort? You know how you break down barriers where people get a little bit of complacent? You know how you get to know someone's life even though they put up an image? Many times, guys, this is what we do when we first meet each other. What do you do for a living? And it becomes more about what we do as a part of our identity than who we actually are. The way you simply get to know somebody is you create friendship with them. And when you spend and you begin to have eyes to see other people and you begin to birth new friendships, God allows relationships to bring healing to another person. I love marriage because I married a woman where I'm sealing, I'm constantly seeing ourselves heal one another, cover one another, bring healing to situations in our life because of the relational intimacy that we have. But you know God calls us to that in friendship? So lastly, I want to encourage us as a practical step as well. As a church, this is why we do small groups. Because we're giving space throughout the week to build deeper friendships, to bring healing. I love the praise reports I'm he hearing about the healing that's happening in our small groups. I love to understand that deep relational wells that we get with people, we learn to love people better when we get to be a part of the healing and give more than people could ever expect to receive. Giving more than one bargained for. That's what grace is. See, mercy is something that's within God's character and his nature, right? Well, mercy basically says we don't get what we deserve, but grace means that we get something, a blessing, even though we don't deserve it. So this morning, my challenge for us is that we would be people of grace, understanding that grace is what God has given us that we would be the ones who partake of that grace and take it to another level. Begin to give to people that don't deserve it. But we choose, as the Bible says, to love our enemies. We choose to be people that are committed to loving him more and more each and every day and loving our neighbor as ourself, even our very enemies, as Jesus said. Church, can we give more than they bargained for? Can we give more than they bargained for, for those who are not with us this morning, those who exist outside these walls.